Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tuesdays with Townsend, a podcast from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. My name's Ben Whittinghill. It's my privilege to sit down each week with one of my fellow pastors and dear friends, David Townsend, to discuss questions of faith, challenging issues, and sometimes random topics. Our goal is to serve you as you seek to follow Jesus faithfully in our post-Christian world. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome, everyone. Uh, We are glad to be with you for another Tuesday with David Townsend. David, good to see you, man. Good to see you, Ben. Uh, Missed last week, but um, so it's good to be back. And, um, you know, obviously I know what we're talking about today. So while it's heavy, I'm thankful for the opportunity to do it and that we, um, you know, get to look to Jesus and to his, his word to us. Um, yeah. for hope in, in really hard times. Yeah, and really last week's break kind of came at a good time. I think there just needed to be such a pause and reflection. So obviously, um, I was like eight days ago now was the death of George Floyd murdered um, just ruthlessly. And the the country is just as at, at fractured of a place in the, in the soul of the country as I can ever remember seeing in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of question on how to think rightly about these things. And my, biggest encouragement and admonition to Christians. So we're, we're going, going to mainly be speaking to the church of Jesus Christ today. And my admonition has been for a long time. You can think back for a couple of years ago, we're thinking through the refugee crisis and um, we were, you know, whether it's issues on racial reconciliation or abortion, that we have to be a kingdom people that think about things in a kingdom way and not in a partisan or political kind of way. Right. And the, the challenge in the church right now is to kind of line up on a party side based on where you're getting your news. And right now I just want to focus on our, brothers and sisters of color who are hurting deep down because of real prejudice and real injustice. And here we are, um, two white guys who at the outset have to acknowledge that there's so much that we don't understand, but we are broken and hurting with, um, black brothers and sisters specifically over the last week and have been weeping and praying and asking the Lord for how to change and what that should look like. And so that, that has to shape our conversation today. Um, this is not us trying to come up with answers or solutions. Uh, but I think it is us trying to ask questions Um, And I think specifically as white men to ask questions and to propose thought-provoking questions and soul-searching questions to 
people that we have a voice with in a white audience. So we're not speaking to white people today or to a white church only to the whole church, but also understanding that we have a perspective, our own perspective that we need to speak to um, so that we can be a part of seeing real healing yeah. being made. I don't know if you yeah. have any other introductory thoughts to that. Yeah, I think kind of a, an introductory question I'd have for anybody who is not of color, right? So if you are a, a white Christian, then you really have to, to pause and say, why is it that I believe what I do believe? And I, and I mean this kind of in this overarching um, kind of cosmic look, but why is it that the, I believe the world works the way it does? And you, you need to really consider that not only in our country, but even on a global scale, there are people who have incredibly different worldviews, perspectives, and experiences. And they're not invalidated because they're not yours. And now to go from the global to the national scale, we have people who, you I mean, you can ask someone who grew up a state away or a half of the country away about their experience and it will be different. And then you go deeper and more specific into maybe ethnic dividing lines. And you are doing yourself a disservice and certainly a disservice by not at least asking the question, why is it that your experience is the way it is? And how can I learn from your experience? And why do I make the assumptions I make? And so I think that we have to humble ourselves with those questions and let those questions kind of do some work as we even look to how we should respond or make a framework for responding to injustice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and they're not easy questions and you can't, you won't simply just answer them, but they need to at least be asked and provoke yourself to, to find, you know, answers to these questions or at least search yourself and then ask your neighbor, talk to someone, you know, because we need to learn from others. <clears throat> and we know that the whole law is summed up in love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yes. yourself. So right. that has so many, so much of the time we focus on this loving the Lord, your God with all your heart. And just assuming that if we do that, then this horizontal loving of neighbor will work itself out. But there is action that we have to do. There's mindsets and attitudes that we have to put to death. And there's real proactive work that has to be done into loving our neighbor. We see all throughout the scriptures, this mandate to love justice and to seek correction to oppression. So we, we right now it kind of remains to be seen or converse about, uh, you know, what that looks like, but the, the mandate to pursue that is super clear. Um, man, I, ha I heard this question. So I, I mentioned to you, Brian Loritz, yes. um, godly brother, his, his dad, Crawford Loritz, I've respected for a long time. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He posted this video. It looked like it was from the eighties, man. I don't even know who this lady was. She was doing a presentation in a, in a crowd full of people, a white lady talking to what looked like a majority white crowd, maybe like a college classroom setting it was being recorded and 
she said, white people in the room, raise your hand if you would prefer to be treated like black people are treated in this country. And nobody raised their hand. She's like, y'all didn't understand my question. I'm saying raise your hand if you would want to be treated like black people are treated in this country. And nobody raised their hand. And she said, okay, so the issue is not that you realize that they are experiencing a reality that's different than yours and that's worse than yours, but you're just not, you're just not willing to do anything about it. Right. You're not willing to say anything about it. And I thought, that is such a point blank question, right? It's like politics aside. Right. right. Whether or not you believe that, I mean, if you don't believe racism still exists, it's just... I mean, just turn off, turn this off. It's just like, there's no, we, we can't, we, there's nothing that we're going to be able to say that's going to open your eyes. Um, but if you can't see that even as a white person, that you have a white perspective that's uniquely white, just like black people have a perspective that's uniquely black, Asian, that's uniquely Asian, right? We're all coming from our experience. But that's such a simple question, David, to yeah. look and say, hey, would you prefer to be black in America? Right. And if the answer is no, then because of how they're treated or because of the assumptions that are made about their character right. or whatever else, then, then there's such work to do. Yeah. And a responsibility that we have to be a part of seeking reconciliation. Now, we, we want to talk specifically this morning about inside the church. Yeah. Start with that kind of a narrowed focus. We know that the gospel breaks down the barrier of the dividing walls and makes two groups into one. Mm -hmm. It does that. I think the most simple way, man, and I know, I'm going to turn this over to a question. I know this is Tuesdays with Towns and not Tuesdays with Wedding Hill, so I, I'm going to, but I'm just putting this out there. To oh, you, it's good, man. It's good. In the gospel, we have been declared righteous on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. And right. there is a declarative righteousness that is not true in our experience as an imparted righteousness necessarily. It is just on the basis of Jesus's blood, by the grace of God, he declares you innocent. Your sins have been removed from you as far as the East is from the West. Right. In the same way, in a declarative sense, he has made two groups into one and has abolished all of our differences and has created one new man. Yeah. Not making everybody uniform, but unified in the midst of our diversity as one right. new man in Christ declaratively so yes but in the gospel we have an imparted righteousness where that what god has declared is worked out in our experience as we are sanctified and made more like jesus in his likeness to simplify our sanctification by saying you just got to believe that jesus has justified you and just right. like just that simple right is to way overly simplify all the New Testament to how to work out our salvation with fear and trembling by the energizing work of the Holy Spirit. And right. in the same way, it is overly simplified to say, 
the gospel has done away with prejudice and race and what people need to do is just believe the gospel and then this will just all go away right this is a sin issue and in they so just deal with the sin issue at the root should be real simplified and just done yeah there is so much work to do by the power of the spirit done in the word of god wielded in prayer and a, an obedience that has to be spirit empowered we're not advocating any labor done in the flesh. Right. But there are real divisions with demonic force behind them yeah. that have to be dealt with in a spiritual way with physical obedience. Yes. That has to take place. And there is a massive blind spot in every culture. To, its, to the sins of its own culture. Right. So I'm not just trying to pigeonhole white people. And David and I are not sitting here as like, hey, we've kind of like figured this out. We've read some books and now we don't feel like, You're right. we feel right. like woke white people, right? But, but there was kind of this awakening years ago where it's like, I need to listen to a perspective that's not mine and realize I have things to learn and a perspective to learn and to grow from and to seek to live with compassion and with a, a humility that wants to learn and wants to pursue love arm in arm with brothers and sisters who don't look like me and that it's work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you didn't quite ask a question, but I know I'm assuming I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm giving it to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you're hitting the nail on the head and the difficulty, the, the sin always is to assume that, that the only sins in my life are the ones that I can see when there are often hidden sins in our life. And we're blind to those sins. And so, and, and a lot of the blindness comes culturally because something has been culturally acceptable or historically acceptable and prejudice, racism, um, even like something as like turning a blind eye to systemic oppression is one of those things. And I think you, you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to be willing to, like, that's the place to start, right? If you don't think racism exists, well then I think if you're a Christian and you, you believe that, then you first need to go read your Bible because the Bible deals with racial, racial hostility. But two, you need to plead that the Lord opens your eyes to, to your heart and that he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. And I, I can guarantee he'll show you that. Um, and to assume that you don't participate in racist actions or even if you have colored friends that, you know, or non-white friends that, that you're not prone to race, racist tendencies, then I think that even is being blind. Um, and to, you know, to go off of um, like what you were saying regards to justification and um, righteousness, I mean, so much of the New Testament is saying because Jesus has done this, we pursue it. And because we're being made in his image, right, being conformed to his image, we have to be holy like he is holy because that's the Spirit's work in us to prepare us for eternal communion, right? And not to get 
down the wrong rabbit hole, but like the work of sanctification in us and really the, the work of the gospel is a, a work from the triune God. And if we're and the spirit empowers us, but still tasks us with the responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Jesus says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, right? And my father will love him and will reveal himself to him. And so, and then later too, in first Peter one, it says, uh, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Don't be caught up in these former passions, but instead as the one who called you is holy, be holy as he is holy, you know? And so there, there's a, a real call. And I think you, you, we have to rightly see the tension in the scriptures. It's not, a, it's not a tension in the sense of contradicting to contradictory things, but rather there's a, there's a gospel in the air, right? Where our salvation lies, where our justification lies, where the work of the spirit is, is like making all things come under the will of the father, right? And then there's gospel on the ground. And what happens in this cosmic view, right, top-down, bird's-eye view of God's work must inform what we do on the ground. But it doesn't absolve us of being the, the, the ministers of the new covenant and being responsible and being loved, you know, people who love our neighbor and who serve and who um, die to self for the sake of another, right? It doesn't absolve us of any of that. And the gospel frees up people to um, to a humility that will explore ways that I've been wrong. Yes. Because Jesus' blood covers all of my sin, known and unknown. And there's this idea of like, well, people just want me to be, to have like this white guilt, right? That you're just guilty for being white. Or like, right. if you're white, you're part of the problem. And so I want to, I mean, this is speaking to all of the church. This is speaking to black church and white church. It's not wrong to be white and it's not wrong to be black. Both of those things are created by God and we need to celebrate those things. What What is wrong is... Uh, to deceive our own hearts. And I think, David, I don't know if you would agree with this. I think every person has some prejudice in their heart or is tempted to prejudice no matter their race, right? Yes. That's the enemy wants that. So we would be naive to think that there's no least temptation to that. And there's such a desire to kind of like justify ourselves. And there are like godly people that I respect that would say, God's my witness. Like I don't, I don't feel racist and I have friends and like, I love black people. And so this is not to say all, all white people are just like wrong on this or they, they all have this prejudice or they're all, they're all like part of this problem. But I think what our black brothers and sisters want us to see is that it's, it's, it's not enough. It doesn't feel like enough just to say I'm not contributing to the problem. Right. If we are not humbly seeking to learn from their perspective and then also work offensively to be part of the solution and, right. and to labor together. And so I think that those are two different things. And I think one way that we can leverage our influence is to say, hey, let's let's be humble learners and let's listen and let's be a people who have compassion and mercy 
which is the first step, you know, you and I talked about, all right, what should this first thing be about? And honestly, it's just to lament. Yeah. And just to be sad of the sin and the yeah. brokenness that's in the world, to be sad for this arson that contributes to it and to cry out to God to say, God, there's a disparity between what you've promised and what you've declared to be true in the gospel and what we're seeing on the ground. Yeah. And it's heart wrenching. And if, if one part of the body is weeping, then we need to all be weeping. Yeah. Romans 12, towards the end of the chapter, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And, you know, that's such a striking, even the, even the opening of rejoice with those who rejoice, it's so striking because even that is aimed at pride, right? Because we typically rejoice at other people's sufferings because we're so consumed with self. And, and, and I'm being just honest at the human condition. The more I, I learn about David in light of the gospel of Christ, the more I see how desperate I am for rescue from myself. And it, and I, I, I can like honestly say I think everyone is, is prone to serve self, to love self, and to cherish self above anyone else. Right. And so to rejoice with those who rejoice is to say, I will celebrate at God's goodness and blessing in your life, and I'll die to self even if I'm not like experiencing that same manifest blessing, right? So like that's aimed at pride. But, but then to, to weep with those who weep is such... Uh, it's like the fulfillment then of the humility, right? Because you first have to be humbled and then you, you look and you take on, right? The experience of another, the, the, the pain, the suffering, and you lament with another. And that, that's not like a, just a catchphrase. It's not, you know, something that you put on a bumper sticker, but that is a, that is a posturing of the heart that recognizes that there is real pain and suffering and whether or not you can understand it or even experience it in the same way does not negate that it's real for a brother or sister in the family of God. And you learn to weep with those who weep. And, and furthermore, I think kind of continuing into that argument, Paul says, look, you, you've got to associate with the lowly because Christ became low for us, right? He, he became poor so that in him we might become rich. And he's, he's not talking about obviously money per se, but in this humble and a state, right? Lowliness of disposition and heart. And there are real people hurting. The black community is hurting right now because what has been going on for decades upon decades is not only tragic, but it's evil. Mm-hmm. And to ignore it is foolish, foolhardy, ignorant, and evil as well. And so we can't ignore it. This is a like kind of a cross reference to that Romans 12 text. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. Yeah. And that's really at the heart of that, weeping with those who weep. It's suffering yeah. with those who suffer. Compassion means to suffer with. Yeah. When you look at Jesus's ministry in the gospels, you, you read how many times it says he had compassion. He was moved in its bowels mm. with the feeling of other people's suffering and it moved him to action yeah to to love them and um 
I just, I see so many ways where I need to grow to be like Jesus in this. It's not convenient to bear one another's burdens and it's not right. easy. You have to listen and put yourself in other people's shoes to be able to sympathize with them, realizing there's no empathy. I mean, you, you, you're totally sympathizing in something that you can't understand, but Jesus understands. Right. right. And so you go to him together. And I think these verses are saying there's not room in the body of Christ to be posturing individually. Right. To have an individual mindset and a defensiveness individually rather than a corporate compassion. Yeah. I think at best, most people's responses are apathetic, right? Which is wrong. And at worst, people think it's, it's made up, it's race baiting, or it's polit- being politicized for some, some kind of gain. And to, to think those things and to not actually see the pain that our brothers and sisters are experiencing is neglect in the highest form. Yeah, it's, um, there's no, which, I mean, I think it needs to be said like this point blank. There is no room in the body of Christ. It's naive and negligent at best. Right. And like a diabolical blind spot or intentional right. evil to dismiss the, the agony in the black community yeah. as perceived and not real. Right. Right. Or, to, or to blame it on race baiting or, or like this is an election year or that kind of stuff. It's just, right. it's even, that, that kind of stuff is even dismissive of the sovereignty of God. Yes. Because we're saying there are people at work in the higher ups who are engineering all of this and we cannot be cogs in their wheel when at the end of the day, they are cogs in his wheel yeah. and he is sovereign over all things. And he has not told us to sniff them out and right. to stick it to the man. He's told us to love one another and to weep with those who weep and to suffer with those who suffer. Yeah. It's like the most black and white part of the text, do you know? Yeah. So it's disobedient to yeah. ignore the responsibility to weep with those who weep. And to, to try to, I don't know, exercise yeah, some I, kind of wisdom or discernment that God hadn't called us to. That, that Romans 12 text continues on. It says, um, do not be wise in your own estimation um, and, or in your own sight. And so we're, we're and, and that's back to our original opening question, right, is that why do you think you're right that your experience is the standard, right? When the scripture is saying, look, you don't be wise in your own understanding. Like you have to be ready to be humbled and to be open to being wrong and to think that someone else is more wise than you and that their understanding and experience is more correct than you. And we're not talking about truth claims here. But we are talking about cultural differences that are real and valid that do not contradict the scriptures. Yeah. And, you know, if anything, the scriptures validate uh, that, that the world is broken, 
that people experience real suffering and that suffering will vary, but there is the same hope in it all, like the same answer in it all, but it does not take away or somehow minimize the actual pain of a person, which is again why Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. And he even wept knowing Jerusalem would be destroyed because it was real. And, and that's why we don't separate God's cosmic plan, right? That gospel in the air from the work on the ground. But we also don't dismiss everything here because we chalk it up to, oh, it'll all be made right one day. Mm-hmm. No, that's not, that's not good enough. It just isn't. And um, Jesus says, look, the, the world will know you by your love for one another. And if that doesn't like shake you up, and say, and when, when we have people telling us we don't feel loved by our white brothers and sisters, that ought to that ought to scare us and make us incredibly like sad and sorrowful that we have been poor brothers and sisters in the body of Jesus. Yeah, man, that's such a beautiful. Just like I love bringing it down to like this simple, like directive from Jesus because you can't get around that, right? And when you see an insight into his high priestly prayer in John. 17 in the focus of it is God make them one. Mm, yeah. And that is not just talking about individual uh, church bodies. So when right. if you can, if you can kind of make that about your local church and your church is predominantly one color, then you can kind of get, get around that text. Um, yeah feeling pretty unscathed but when we think about our nation right now and just inside of the church of jesus christ the feeling of division and lack of being known and seen it it goes back to that kind of conversation about the justification and the sanctification right it's we have been declared one body but there is work to do to get at the answer to jesus's prayer that we would be one yeah and it starts with humility in prayer yeah but it cannot stop there the the call of jesus always in the gospels right the and this is touched on sometimes this pericope happens twice or three times in the same gospel but it says it's this like die to self pick up your cross and follow me or the one who wishes to save his life must lose it right and the one who loses his life for my sake will save it all of that is getting at the point of you need to die to self and dying to self means dying to your uh, preconceived notions, dying to your pride, dying to your desires, dying to your politics, right? And, and trusting that my way is better than your way. And it's this all-consuming, holistic humility that, that Jesus is asking us to. And it, it's literally a saying, I am not my own God. I'm not right. And I have to be open before the king of the universe that he may have his way in my life and I'll follow you wherever you go. And that fundamental call to being a follower of Jesus has to be the same, like the, 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 like that call is the same call in all things as we navigate life in the body and life in the scriptures. And it's always, we, we would do best to question ourselves rather than questioning others. Amen. Man, it's so good, David. We could talk for a long time. I think maybe the most fitting thing um, is if if you, if you feel um, like ready for this, I'm kind of springing this on you, but 
I think if you would just voice a prayer of lament, yeah, I think this is something that we don't know how to do as a church, man. Um, yeah. You know, I think sometimes we think that faith is just like powering through. Yeah. And just like not being affected by uh, the brokenness around us, but that's not what you see in in Jesus. It's not what you see in the New Testament. And one third of the Psalms are lament that there is this, what we would call an eschatological hope. Yeah. That Jesus is going to make all things new and make all things right. And Mark Rogop, I think is how you say his last name in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which I recommend to people on just learning the art of lament. He says, look, lament is a song in a minor key mm. while we wait for the fulfillment of our future hope. That there is a, in, in the midst of the already and the not yet, there is a gap between what God has promised and what we experience. And he has given us songs to sing. Yeah to lament the difference and he yeah. wants us to. So it's not unbelief that mourns the difference, but faith and uh, it's giving voice to the longing for him to bring his kingdom to our present reality now as a down payment of what's to come. Yeah. Yes. Amen. So man, if you could pray yeah, uh, for the church and for, hurting people man and just and just voice a prayer that that hurts with them that would be awesome yeah father god you are seated high above and you are certainly sovereign and in control and you're merciful and you understand the plight of man you were not uh, one to withhold your love, but you gave it and you proved your love to us in sending your son. And you're the father who let go of his son and let his son endure the suffering of death, even death on a cross. And not only that, but you ordained it that you might prove your love to us and that you might redeem a people for your possession. And so we rejoice in knowing that though our pain is real and though the pain of others and the suffering and it's, it's, it's real, it's all real though it is present and the days are evil. The gospel is real. The gospel is eternal and the gospel holds us. And I pray specifically Lord that you would teach us to humble ourselves before you to fear you rightly and to see that we all are made as image bearers for your name's sake. And I, I pray specifically for white believers that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, the, and that we would understand the pain and the suffering and the circumstances that surround the black community. I pray that you would give us opportunity to stand in solidarity to be united with our black brothers and sisters and our brown brothers and sisters and anyone else who is not like us. Lord, would we not be a people who are content and comfortable being segregated in the church, 
because it still exists in the church in this country. And I pray that you would root it out. I pray that you would teach us to die more and more to self. And I pray that you would expose the hidden sins within. Father, we're not content seeing this country the way it is. We pray for real reconciliation. And we know it's only going to happen by work of your spirit. And the church ought to be on the front lines of this reconciliation, of loving our neighbors as ourselves, as an act of worship, because we love you. And we know that your love is what teaches us how to love. And so, Lord, would you help us? Lord, we're pleading that you would intervene and break our hearts. Lord, break our hearts. Teach us to cry out rightly. Teach us to lament. Lord, teach us to be to be lowly and to associate with the lowly and to suffer with those who suffer and to weep with those who weep. Father, forgive us. Forgive just the arrogance and the pride and the, the blindness of your people. Would we love you more than we love ourselves? And in loving you, I pray that we love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. Show us who our neighbor is. Please, Lord, do it. It's in your name I pray and I ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, I know you referenced, it's kind of in lieu of an interesting fact. Um, I think it's helpful just to reference four people in the church that may not know of godly, righteous, black men and women to look to, to learn from yeah. in the midst of this conversation, which is vital. This is not like a, like potentially you should or should not. Yeah. Categorically right or wrong in this moment, what looks like love and humility is to learn from people whose perspective is different than yours and yeah. to have a right understanding of the gospel in the midst of it. And, um, you know, a couple of the guys, it's not like an exhaustive list. It's just a couple of the guys that I look to in the midst of this. Um, Dr. Eric Mason, Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, with Epiphany Fellowship. Uh, Brian Loritz, his dad, Crawford Loritz. Godly, godly men. Um, I know you referenced, um, I don't know if your books that you referenced were a little bit more academic or not, but you mentioned a professor at Southeastern. Yes. So, um, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Walter Strickland, he is, um, head of the, uh, the kingdom initiative, I believe, uh, or the, um, uh, one of the diversity initiatives at Southeastern, which is uh, my alma mater. And, uh, he has several recommendations. You can find his blog, um, kingdom diversity initiative is I believe he heads that up and he teaches and he has a blog with several, um, recommendations. Um, he's an African American gentleman. So, uh, he did much of his PhD work studying black theology. And, um, so some of those gentlemen that I would recommend, should you even want to like learn how to look to the scriptures differently than kind of the heritage that, uh, Protestants have inherited, um, and really glean and learn from it, uh, would be, um, one is J. Deotis Roberts. And, um, 
The other would be Charles Octavius Booth. Um, both of those gentlemen are, um, they're gone and passed now, but were prolific as far as early black theology goes. And um, one name you might run across, James Cone. James Cone is considered the father of uh, black liberation theology. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that I think as an evangelical, we wouldn't agree with some of his uh, writings and conclusions, but I think they're still helpful to learn from, perhaps. And, um, and if that's the kind of reader you are, then I would still recommend it. But before any of that, I would encourage you to read Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, it's yes. a short read that is profound and is eye-opening to the plea of a black man in America to see justice be had. No, I'm glad you referenced Dr. King because I've been so moved by some of the stuff I've read from him lately. Uh, just the call of love and how he called people to a protest that was peaceful, not just on the outside, but was rooted in love for right. their oppressors from the inside in just the truest form of a call to love. Some other guys I've been really blessed by their ministries, the BD and Ibuile, yes, H.B. Charles Jr., Tony Evans, um, mm -hmm. John Perkins, some of his yeah. writing stuff. So um, there are thousands, but I'm just yeah. listing like a few of saying like, if you want a place to start, read some guys and then tune in. I would find their Facebook or their Instagram and listen to what they're saying right now. Not just yeah. the comments about the gospel in general, but this cultural moment. And how yeah. do we live like gospel-minded people who are pursuing unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace, in a way that is both rooted in prayer and takes action? So, Yeah, yeah. If you're a music fan, uh, this would be um, just a little bit more of a stretch for some, but I, I listened to a lot of hip hop growing up and in college. And I began to listen to a lot of hip hop, um, that was, um, made by, by Christian artists. And it, you know, um, I don't listen to a lot of it now, but in a lot of ways it discipled me in college in some regards. Um, and I can explain that to anyone in person if they really want to know what I mean by that. But, but furthermore, it exposed me to, um, to an experience and to a worldview that I never would have. Um, I grew up in a really racially divided area in the South and it was apparent. And while knowing it was wrong, it, it didn't, it, you know, it was impossible for me to understand or really empathize, right. The plight of my black neighbors and, um, listening to this music because it, it's like hip hop in its truest form, right. It tells stories and it shared experience and it was all in light of the gospel of Jesus. I was exposed to just ideas and convictions from others that I don't think I ever would have seen. And so um, a lot of that was incredibly formative for me through college. Um, and I don't think it replaces any of the readings that we're recommending or anything like that. But um, if you're into that genre of music, I would recommend some artists such as Propaganda and Lecrae. Um, many of you might even heard them, and it. And I, I would say intentionally listen to the songs that speak out to the Black experience in America. Yeah. Good man. Well, man, may the Lord do what only He can do in moving our hearts to, um, to love justice and to seek mercy and to walk humbly with Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.